Genesis chapter 5, I want to encourage you to leave this uh, chapter open as we walk through these genealogies. It's a chapter that tells about the record of lives. And, and last week, as we looked at this similar thing happening in Genesis 4, we asked the question, how, what do we do when we come to these genealogies? We don't just want to treat them as a way to move fast through the Bible and just skip over these things that we don't think are very interesting as we see someone was born and someone lived this long and then he died. How do we deal with these genealogies? The Lord has profit in this passage for us, good for us, usefulness. And we talked about last week how we want to pay attention in genealogies to the names and the numbers. God is showing us the significance of uh, what what he's wanting to teach us through names and numbers. And today uh, we're going to focus especially on nuances. That's one thing you want to look for in genealogies. By nuance, I mean you're going to see the pattern of people's lives repeated over and over in these genealogies. And what you want to pay attention to are where the pattern is broken. The differences is, is the way that God is lifting up in our eyes what is most important. And numbers play a, an important role in this passage as well. Specifically, the way that the lives of the first man, the seventh man, and the tenth man differ from the other men. These important numbers of 1, 7, and 10. God is using those men in particular. And that's what we'll focus on in Genesis 5. Is what is God teaching us through the lives of those men? What I think we're going to see in Genesis 5 is that it's something we, we've, we've thought about a lot as a church. Uh, but we see it here clearly in this chapter. Being a follower of Christ is not just about two moments in our life. We can think that being a follower of Christ is only about that moment in our life back in the past where we ask God to save us. And then we can think about being a Christ follower is only important in our lives than in the future on that day of judgment. But when we look at the book of Genesis, and particularly in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 5, we see that God is dealing with us in the day-to-day, in the kind of everyday things that we do, in the mundane things that seem to be significant if we are living for him. As we've seen in Genesis, it matters as he uh, focuses in on one day when someone ate something a certain way. As we saw last week, it matters how we use our words and how that shows we're following the Lord. And we'll see that again this morning. And the main thing I think we're going to see in Genesis 5 is that walking with God defeats death. Walking with God defeats death. That should make this really interesting to you, this chapter of genealogies. If it teaches me how to defeat death, then I want to hear it. Walking with God is what defeats death. First of all, let's look at the first man, Adam, in verses 1 through 3. Adam, we are told, is blessed, but he's dying. Genesis 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And then verse Five. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Again, in verse 1, the way this passage is opening up is it's telling us what it is about, is it's telling us what became of Adam. That word Adam 
is just the word man. In verse 2, that's the way the same word is translated. This is, this is what became of humanity. What happened to this line of people that we saw introduced in Genesis chapter 1 when God created all things and made his crowning creatures, the, the, the pinnacle of creation, those who were made in his image? What became of of this project of history and the people who are at the center of history, chapter 5 answers this question. What became of humanity? And one thing we notice in chapter 5 is, is there is a portion of humanity who is totally left out in the answer. That line of Cain in chapter 4, the faithless people who do not live for the Lord, they're not even figuring into the answer what became of humanity. It's as if God is saying, What became of the true humanity? Well, let me focus on these people. The line of the faithful. From Adam, through not through Cain, but through Seth, all the way down at the end of the chapter to Noah. And what we're taught is that the faithful people of God were blessed. And they died. They were blessed. And they died. And that's supposed to seem strange and not right almost like a contradiction verses one and two this is about all man male and female we're told we're made for god's blessing this is why he made male and female and everyone who lives on earth is for god's blessing made in the likeness of god and as we looked at that in genesis chapter one we discovered what it means to be made in the likeness of God, you were made in the likeness of God. I was made in the likeness of God for the purpose of being the image of God. Why do you exist? You exist to be a mirror. To be a mirror. You and I exist to reflect God's ways in every corner of our lives. That's why we have life. That is chiefly what it means to be blessed. This opportunity we have in verse 2. We are blessed to be in the likeness of God. To see God accurately in a way that no one else in the world gets to see Him. All humanity was supposed to see Him for who He really is. And yet not everyone does. But not just to see Him, but to show Him. That's why we exist, to show him to everyone and everything in our world for who he really is. But blessing in Genesis is not just about how we are made in the likeness of God, how we see him and show him. It is also tied to multiplication. Look back in Genesis 1, verse 28, how how God makes man in his image and he blesses them. And then what does it say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what the blessing is tied up in. This is what we're, we're being reminded of as we get to Genesis chapter 5. What is the purpose of humanity? Well, you need to remember, before you think about what became of humanity, that humanity is supposed to make this world the way God intended it. God intended this world to be a house of mirrors. God intended this world to be a place where All that we see is really there's this one image being reflected forever and ever in an ongoing way so that we, from man to woman, from woman to man, fill the world with the image, the knowledge of who God is. 
And he says, and I want you to notice this, carefully from these words, we were given life in this. That's what I want us to embrace. If you want to live, if you want your life to mean something, understand the way that it was made. You were to have life in the likeness of God. You can only have life in the likeness of God. The point of life, the purpose of life, is forever, by God, connected to knowing God. The point of life is forever connected to knowing God. To knowing what he is like and then to being like him and reflecting him in that way, making him known to others. That is life that is blessed and happy. But then there's something terribly wrong. Because this chapter is not just about life. It is about death. Look in verse 5. And Adam died. And then verse 8, Seth died. And then verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 27, verse 31, the repetition as we say, what became of the people who were to have life knowing God and making God known? They all died. Genesis 5 tells us that there is a terrible problem in the world of life. And that is, if you want to know what is wrong with the world, don't misunderstand. What is wrong with the world in God's eyes is that death reigns in this world that he made to live. Romans chapter 5. As sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death came through that sin, so it is not life that has spread throughout all the world as we reflect who God is and life and likeness of God, what is spread throughout this world is death because all men sin. Death reigns. That is the problem. It is exercising its power over everyone. What became of man? The beginning of the answer comes in this section on Adam. What became of man, what became of humanity is we sinned and we lost life because we lost God. And yet this is also a chapter of hope because Enoch especially tells us that if we walk with God, we will defeat death. Look in chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Enoch walked with God. Enoch, this is point number 2, walked with God in the realm of death. This is what's significant, is the differences we see about Enoch in verses 21 through 24. When we understand what is going on here, we meet Enoch like this bouquet of flowers in a cemetery. He is standing as a symbol of vibrance and life and relief to all the deadness of a cemetery. All the people around him dead and he's standing up to us giving us hope and beauty and life and i'm confident if you go home today and you read genesis 5 to a child you will 
see in them a, a response when you get to Enoch. Enoch, if you read Genesis 5, would stand out because your children would hear something for Enoch that they did not hear for everyone else. And they would have heard something for everyone else that they all of a sudden perk up because they don't hear for Enoch. Let me tell you what they'd hear. Adam lived 130 years and he died. Seth lived 912 years and he died. Kenan lived 910 years and he died. Mahalel lived. 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 962 years, and he died. Enoch walked with God 365 years, and he walked with God and was not. Do you hear? Do you hear what you heard with everyone else and what is in the place of what you heard for everyone else in Enoch's story? Everyone else, we're told, lived and died. Enoch, in the place of the sentence that said he lived, it replaced the word lived with walked with God and replaced the word died with walked with God and was not. Do you get what the difference in the pattern is teaching us? Enoch is teaching us, friends, there is more to life than just living and then dying. This is what he's teaching. He's holding out for us through Enoch an alternate lifestyle. There is a way of the world where people are just living until they die. And Enoch is holding us a different way that we can spend our life. Enoch is saying, in the place of life is walking with God. In other words, what is life? What gives life? And what keeps us from dying? It's walking with God. It's in the very language of the passage. Look again at Genesis 5 and then verse 24. Enoch walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. This very early passage of Scripture, God is saying, I will defeat death for whoever walks with me. I will defeat death. Which is why it says, it does not say, and he died. It just says, he walked with God and he was not. God will defeat death for whoever walks with him. Now, what does that mean? You've probably heard the phrase, we ask each other questions, how is your walk with God? We might ask the question, are you walking with the Lord? And if we're not thoughtful, we can hear that and I don't even know what we're answering. Do you know what it means to walk with God? Well, Enoch teaches us three things about this very common phrase that we use and hopefully we can fill it with meaning from the life of Enoch. Do you want to have victory over death? That's what the book of Hebrews says. We are slaves in fear 
of the one who has the power over death. We're all afraid of dying and for what it means. But more than that in the future, do you want to live? Do you want to have your life be filled with life? Well, then what does it mean to walk with God? Three things Enoch teaches us. First, walking with God means living in the presence of God. It means living in the presence of God. This is the way Hebrews 11 speaks of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found, he was not, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, what was his life like? He was commended by God as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Listen, for whoever would draw near to him, this is the language of walking, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Living in the presence of the one that we really believe, he is real. He exists, and so he matters in my life. In this moment in my life, he exists. One of the things that struck me when, when we moved to Graham was this pattern that I had seen in, on the streets of Graham that um, just kind of stood out to me. Was I saw the same guy walking every day at different points in the town. So he was walking long distances even, daily with his hound dog. I don't, know what, I don't know much about dogs. It may not have been a hound dog. I associate what he had as a hound dog. It could have been a cocker spaniel. The point is not the cocker spaniel people. He was walking with his dog, it seemed, every day. And sometimes I would run into him in my own walks with my family. And, and, and what I noticed whenever I would walk, run into him on these walks is, is he was talking to his dog a lot. And then whenever he would actually talk to us and engage us, he would talk to us about his dog. And then he'd spend the time then kind of showing us the tricks that his dog could do. Enoch drew near to God, it says, because he believed God exists. The reason why he walked with God, drew near with him, is because he believed that God was real. The first thing that we need to embrace if we are going to understand what it means to walk with the Lord is you live your life aware. He is real. He's not just in a book. He's not just someone I pray to, but it really feels like I'm just talking to myself. He exists. He is present. I remember whenever the elders gave me a sabbatical a couple years ago, I was jumping on this, this point. I was aware what it means to study him and talk about him and pray to him and not feel like he's real. I wanted to take that time to walk with and understand what it means to be, to live in the presence of someone who's alive. You walk with the living God. That guy in Graham, he lives in the presence of his God. He's interacting with him. He's learning him. Probably adjusts his, the way that he's going according to what he's learned about this dog and what he likes, what he doesn't like. When you walk with somebody, you learn them. You know them because they're real to you. You know what they don't like and you know what they do like 
you know what the kinds of things, if you're going on a walk with someone, you just instinctively have picked up in your relationship with them over time. They don't really like to talk about this aspect of their life or they really like to talk about this. And because you've been walking with them, you know them and you're interacting with them on that level. Enoch lived in God's presence. He was being led. Almost by leash. In the sense that he's in the presence of the one who's on a certain path. And he's staying on that path with him. And he wants to be on that path. The second thing that Enoch teaches us about walking with God is that he lived for the pleasure of God. Do you walk with God? Do you live for the pleasure of God? So in Hebrews, what does it say here? It uses this language of pleasing God. It explains God taking Enoch before death because, verse 5, Enoch pleased God. And because he pleased him, he took him before death. And when we read about this record of sinners dying, and we know that death is the wages of sin, we should be shocked to hear that any kind of sinner would please God. We don't think that Enoch just was not a sinner, and therefore that's the way that he, did, that he pleased God, because he never displeased God by a sin. No, it passed to all men. Verse 6 tells us how it's possible to please God, in the way that verse 6 tells us how it's not possible to please Him. If you don't have faith, you can't please Him. You can't please Him. Which tells us what Enoch was full of. Isn't that what it says? It's because he believed God. He believed he exists. He had faith in God and he also had faith that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And because Enoch believed you are real and you reward those who seek you, I want to walk with you. That's the direction of all my life is to seek you. And what is the reward that God gives? What is this reward that God gives to seekers, which is another way to call them walkers? seeking him what path are you on i'm going to walk with you on that path he rewards them with what he gives those who have faith he gives justification he gives this ability to keep walking with him because he's dealt with our sin and the way he deals with our sin it's not that he's just walking with only pleasant therefore sinless people he's walking with those whose sins have been dealt with Enoch believed God, and we're told in Genesis that that is accounted to people who believe as the righteousness we need to be with him. It says elsewhere in the prophets, how can two men walk together unless they are agreed? And the way that we get agreement with God and unity with God as sinners is he forgives us when we believe he is who he says he is in his word. And then we get the reward of being with him. The pleasure of his presence. Micah 6 tells us what is good. What do you want in your life? What does the Lord want you to do? And I think it goes on, maybe. Yes, uh, to walk humbly with your God. What does that mean? Do justice and love kindness and And walk humbly with God. And Enoch set this. He set his walk to the ways of God. He he believed him and therefore he lived a life doing justice and a life doing kindness. Because he wanted the reward. Enoch says, 
in the realm of death while everyone else is just living and dying. Walk with God. Want most above anything to be where you are, O God. This is lovely to me to be in your courts and to dwell with you forever. And I believe that if I believe in you, you will reward me with my heart's desire, which is to be with you. So I seek you because that's what I want. And when God sees this throughout Enoch's life, God is pleased and he takes him out of the realm of death and he puts him into the land of the living. The majority of the world today is living on paths that God would never tread. Beloved, let this remind us the majority of the world today is living their life on paths that God would never walk. He's not walking on those paths. He only walks with those who please Him. And we please Him first by believing in Him. Do you, are you walking with Him? And what that means, are you, are you daily growing in the, in the knowledge of Him that you're believing? Are you growing daily and knowing Him intimately and trusting Him, believing Him completely? A sign that we are walking with God is we wake up and then we get ready and then we interact with the people we interact with in our family and our coworkers, and we do our jobs and we handle our free time and we use our money and we do everything in his presence and for his pleasure always believing he's either pleased or not pleased with this i'm either believing or not believing when i do this is this going to keep me close to god or is it going to put me on another path i don't want to offend him i don't want to go anywhere where he is not I want to hang on to his words and stories about who he is. And whenever he's walking with me and he says, don't walk that way. I want to respond. Walk with God. Seek to please him. The third, Enoch. It's so amazing that we have just these few verses in Genesis and they're so impactful to the people of the New Testament. So we have Jude as well. Tells us how Enoch walked with God. Jude 14 through 16. It was also about these, the ungodly, that, un, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying. So listen, walking with God. Here's the third, third aspect of walking with God. It is living to proclaim the ways of God. Enoch tells us that if you're going to walk with God, part of walking with God is proclaiming the ways of God. And listen to what he proclaimed. To the ungodly, he said, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These ungodly are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. I'm sure Enoch is speaking to other people in his life, but what we are focusing on is the people that he prophesied who, to who were not like God. What does it look like to walk with God? At least from this passage we learn, it means you prophesy and you speak certain things to people who are ungodly. People who are showing favoritism. Remember, kindness and justice is part of 
walking humbly with God. You're showing favoritism. You're unkind to certain kinds of people. You're unjust. You treat some people better than other people. You're following your sinful desires rather than walking on the paths of God. And when he, see, he saw that in his life, he spoke against it. And then he also, when he, ever, he heard people in his life who were living in the realm of death and showing that by their, by their speech against God, then Enoch would open up his mouth and walk with God by speaking to the grumblers. Don't you know everything in your life is a gift? You deserve hell. Why would you complain about anything in your life? How can you complain about anything you have? You're not burning in hell right now. But don't you know that the day of judgment is coming for the ungodly and he will judge you for every ungodly thing that you've done and everything you've spoken against God? You boasters, you're bragging about your life. It's a gift. You don't have anything in your life that is not given to you from God. He is the center of your life. This is what Enoch did. He walked with God by proclaiming to people around him the ways of God. And saying, he talked about the day of judgment. If you're not living in the likeness of God, knowing him and honoring him and making him known, then the judgment of eternal death is coming. We can trust that Malachi 2 verse 6 is true of Enoch that says, those who walk with me in peace and uprightness, they will turn many from iniquity. We can trust that as he was proclaiming the ways of God to the people who were ungodly, that some were turned away from not walking with God by preaching judgment. On our walk with God, if you walk with God, you will be hearing God. And what you hear God say a lot about is that he's coming back. If you just open the Bible and hear God speak to you, he will say a lot about how there is a day when he's coming back. And on that day, he will reward all those who love his appearing, who are living for that appearing, who are longing for him to come back because we want to dwell in his presence. And he will reward us with the reward of Enoch. He will lift us out of this life and bring us into his presence forever. But he's also going to give a different kind of reward to the ungodly. He's going to give his presence. Don't think of hell as the separation from God. It's the separation from God's goodness or his, an experience of his goodness and blessing. It is his presence with you in judgment forever. He is judging in hell. Just think about how much Jesus' apostles say about the judgment day. And they keep telling us it should affect your every day. Enoch understood this because he walked with God. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, fill every day with this, this, and this. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of the Lord Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. And he gives this command of what it looks like to walk with God because the judgment is coming. Let us not be so mature and so gracious that our words show we're ashamed of the judge. Enoch was not. Enoch teaches us that walking and talking in light of the coming judgment gives us a way to escape the coming judgment. It's walking in a way that you're aware of the the coming day of judgment that 
will show whether we will escape the day of judgment. But it's not just moving. It's talking. And those who escape the final judgment talk about the coming judgment. Kelly and I have this history of walking together in stores. And if she just has a few moments now to try to figure out what I'm talking about, she will know what I'm talking about. When we're in stores, we walk a certain way together. And it's driven mainly by the way that I walk in stores. I am very efficient when I'm shopping. Uh, By efficient, I mean fast. And so I'm constantly, and this has happened over 15 years of marriage, of looking back. Let's go. Why aren't you walking with me? Say, walk with me. She says, she always says, I am. (laughs) And I say, well, I see that you're walking actually the same pace that I am because you're always the same distance behind me. Why don't you walk with me? And now my kids even, whenever they walk with me somewhere, I'm constantly saying, Silas, let's go. Catch up with daddy. I need to see you and be able to touch you. And it's your fault. Walk up. Walking with God is more like a long walk on the beach than a fast walk through Walmart with Ryan. Okay? It's more like a long walk on a beach. It's a slow, leave the phone at home, forget everything else you want to do that day, time with someone you are in no hurry to be away from. Does that mark what you say when you say, I walk with God? Focusing on his presence such that what I'm going to decide right now to say, what I'm going to decide right now to think, what I'm going to decide right now to do, takes into account he is there. And Enoch walked like that with God. Walking with God, knowing him, making him known. This is what Enoch did. And he shows us that walking with God gives life in the realm of death. This can give meaning and life and purpose and energy in this world of death. But then thirdly, we see Noah. Noah is at the end of the chapter. And in Noah, we see rest from the curse. Rest from the curse. Look at verse 29. 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying... Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. The tenth one from Adam. Again, these numbers matter in the Bible. The tenth one. Noah is standing in a, the tenth position. He is standing in the place of completion. I think what God is telling us is it's it's like the fullness of my intention for this family. You can learn the fullness of my intention for humanity in the work of Noah, as prophesied by his father. And sure enough, this is the way Lamech is thinking, because whenever he names his son, he is naming Noah out of the belief in what God said would be true. He's using... Words we've seen before in Genesis 3. If you look back in Genesis 3.17, you will see the same words as you see in 5.29. You will see the word ground, cursed, pain, toil. Lamech is placing his hope for rest. The word sounds like the word for Noah. 
with your rod and your staff, you know of me. You comfort me. How can we be comforted? Lamech is saying it's going, the comfort, the relief, the rest is going to come through this one. All that Adam lost by his sin in Genesis 3, the ground was cursed. Humanity was condemned to experiencing pain and toil and death. Lamech is standing with the faithful and to us the faithful and he's burdened by everything surrounding him, all the people in his family line and how they are dying and all the loss. And in effect, through the name of his son, he's saying in faith, who? Lamech is saying, who can deliver me from the realm of death and the curse of sin? That's what Lamech is saying. Who can? And God agrees with Lamech's estimation that through Noah, we will receive something more than even Enoch experienced. Okay? We need something more than what Enoch had in order to be received in the way that Enoch was. If we are going to live in the likeness of God, If we are going to please God, if we are going to receive the presence of God, if we are, in other words, going to get rest, then this issue of death has to be defeated. And the curse of sin must be broken. And as we pull back to the rest of Scripture, we see that one like Noah came. A man who was born on Christmas. And when Luke 3 tells us about the line of Jesus, it uses the line of Genesis 5. We're told that what we've been reading in Genesis 5 and the point that God then ends with with the 10th man and saying, what became, what is my intention then for man is that they find rest through one. We learn then when Jesus comes in that line that Genesis 5 is actually a promise that he, not Noah, but he would give us a rest in the midst of death to all who hope, not just generally in God, but a fuller picture than even Enoch had, specifically who hope in Jesus. And what we'll see as we continue to go in Genesis is that is the way that Noah brings relief. Do you know? How does he bring rest to the reign of death? Rest out of the curse of sin? He brings it through a plague of death. That's how he gives rest to this weary world and God's righteous justice. He wipes sinners out. And then Jesus comes in a different way. On the cross, the righteous one takes the plague. He takes the sinner's death. And he dies in their place. Friends, Enoch's message is no less true today. Judgment is coming to the ungodly. It is coming to the ungodly. And the pain that you have in this life and the toil that you experience in the hardness of this world and the death that is all around us, these are 
prophesying the same truth. There is something else coming. A day of judgment for all the ungodly. And in the midst of that truth, God gives a person who can give us rest. Who can deliver us from the realm of death? Who can deliver us from the curse of sin? One came and said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The Lord Jesus is what Genesis 5 is ultimately calling us to trust in for a real kind of comfort that is not merely extending our life in a realm of death. Think about how many prayers we pray. Think about how many prayers we bring. So-and-so is sick. Let's pray that he would stay alive. So-and-so is struggling. Let's pray that his life gets better in the realm of death. Let's pray that he can live longer in the realm of death. Enoch was like 33 years old comparatively. Don't pray for him to live longer in the realm of death. And what God is saying through Jesus is that the real comfort can only come if we are delivered out of the realm of death into the land of life. We need a comfort that lasts longer than this lifetime. And if you're living for something less, you're losing it. You won't rest. And God raised Jesus from the dead to show that Jesus provides rest because he took the final judgment for sinners. He took that from the ungodly so that it doesn't have to be the future of everyone. But if we trust in him, we are counted righteous and pleasing to God. And to be made to live in the likeness of God. Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God and walk in love like Christ. Walk in Christ. We're made like Him. And then on that day of eternal death, Jesus will be there too. And will walk us in a different direction into glory. This is the primary thing. Are you walking with Jesus? Returning from your sins and trusting in Him alone. I realize with gratitude that God, from that sabbatical, from that desire of wanting to know what it means to live in his presence, he's given me a habit where it's quite literally walking with God. Quite literally, every day, I I mean to, to be outside and to walk with him. And the first part of my walk is always listening to him. I'm rehearsing things in the Bible, and I'm listening to him. Talk to me. And then I'm talking to him as I walk. And I'm praying. And I've noticed um, I get some really strange looks when I do this. Because it is, it does, I mean, maybe they've, they've seen me walk through United and I'm bumping into him and, running, and I'm yelling at my family or whatever. And they're like, what is this guy doing now? He's all slow and doesn't care about anything. I'm just ambling about. It looks like I've got no purpose or no aim. I wonder how you would have, Respond if you saw a clown walking down the street. I mean, a real clown, not the, not someone you just think is crazy or something. Like he's got makeup on, he's got the big shoes. And how often or how quickly would you reach for your phone and call the police, or uh, what would you say to him? This is the kind of looks I get whenever I'm walking with the Lord. And sometimes I'll just say, because sometimes people will end up asking me. They'll slow down and they'll say, 
are you okay? I mean, clear, I've got running clothes on, and so I look like I'm just exhausted. And maybe I am, but do you need a ride? What, what, what are you doing? And I said, I'm talking with the Lord. And they look, like, look at me like I would look at a clown if someone walked down Brazos Street. Not pleased. Just totally confused. And this is the way Enoch looks. Totally strange in Genesis 5. Beloved, if we walk with God like Enoch, our walk, our life will be totally strange to the world of death. And it should be. And beloved, I want to call us to this because that is life. Let me just give you this uh, caution. Don't fill your life with things that are not life. Don't allow life-sucking habits of the world to crowd out life-giving ways of walking with God. The deceiver wants Graham filled with people who think they know God who never walk with him. Do you walk with him? If life is found in likeness and knowing who God is and making him known, there's some certain energy from heaven that's being poured into us and we feel like this is really living. How are you, as a dying man and a dying woman, cultivating a life like Enoch of walking? It says he walked with God for more than three centuries. It's a continual, ongoing definition of his life. We cannot live unless we walk in God, and we cannot walk in God unless we walk with God. Walking with God defeats death. 